welcome to Pod Academy. In this podcast about the start of the Women's Legal Landmarks project, author and barrister Liz Woodcraft talks to Professors Rosemary Okmuti and Erica Rackley. I'm sitting in Garden Court Chambers uh, with Professor Rosemary Okmuti and Professor Erica Rackley. And this afternoon we're going to be talking about Women's Legal Landmarks, which is a project that Rosemary and Erica have been working on for some time. Rosemary, can I start by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself? Well, I am a professor of law at the University of Reading, and I mostly teach property law, but I originally trained as a historian, and I've long been interested in women's legal history, so this project is a wonderful opportunity for me to follow that up. Erica, what about you? I'm a professor at the University of Birmingham. I spend most of my time thinking about the legal profession uh, with a little smattering of uh, the legal regulation of pornography in there. So this is a whole new adventure for me to delve into the history, although I like projects where we get a lot of awesome women and men into a room to talk about feminism, which is what this project involves. I'm right in saying, aren't I, that the project is commemorating 100 years of women being able to practice as lawyers. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Uh, when we get to 2019, because it was 1919, so just after the war. Rosemary, can you set the scene for us in 1919? Women were admitted to both the professions, solicitors and barristers, um, by means of an act called the Sex Disqualification Removal Act, which is a very short act um, and provides for, first of all, that women... Could, could get degrees, actually. That was one thing, from universities without being disqualified by their sex. And also um, that, they, that it wouldn't be a disqualification simply that they were women or married um, in professional life. Um, it allowed them to act as, uh, on juries and become magistrates. But for our purposes, why it's interesting is that it, uh, it marked their admission to the legal profession, which they had been struggling for through several bills um, and also a court case for quite a long time. And so what is the project aiming to do, Erica? So what the project's aiming to do is to identify the legal landmarks for women. And by legal landmark, what we mean is by the statutes, the cases, but also the key legal events that mark a positive change for women's lives and have made a difference to to how they they were able to live. So our landmarks, we we don't actually start with the the landmark of the Sex Disqualification Removal Act in 1919. We're going all the way back to 950, which is our first legal landmark, and then going all the way up to um, 2015. And we've identified about 100 landmarks in that period, um, which have had an impact on women's lives. So can you give us an idea of what some of them might be? We, so we have a number of different landmarks. We go from the obvious landmarks involving family law, involving criminal law, including domestic violence, prostitution, rape and, and so on. We're going to less um, familiar landmarks to uh, like things like the Cruelty to Animals Act, which I never realised was a landmark for women. Why is that a landmark for women? It's a landmark for women because women were involved in the campaigns for this act and they, it was one of the first... Um, Landmark, first piece of act that they'd 
a first piece of legislation that they'd campaigned for that wasn't directly involved about their own personal circumstances. And it arose out of the fashion for women at the time to wear ostrich plumes in their hair which was the cruelty to animals that they were concerned with. And this led, went on to establish the charity law that we have um, today. So some of the landmarks are, uh, they all have an impact on women's, on, have had an impact on women's lives. And some of, but some of the landmarks are about can, the, the actual process by which an act came into being was a landmark for women because women were involved in the campaigns around that particular act. Well, the reason we've taken this approach is that when women's legal advances have been written about at all, which is very rarely, they tend to be presented as though Parliament had just suddenly had a good idea or the courts had suddenly become enlightened. And what we want to show is that actually almost none of these, probably none of these, would have come about if it hadn't been for the efforts of women and some men campaigning for them. And that's all been written, as feminist, feminism has mostly been written out of history, that's been written out of history. And so things like that particular act about cruelty to animals, women were able to make links with their own situation. It was the same with the anti-slavery movement. You know, they're, they're organising and they're using that organising and that's sort of carried over to their other, their, other, their other movements. And I mean, most of the people were actually feminists who were involved in both those campaigns. But it's also that they recognise that their situation is in some ways not that different. And the other great thing about the time period that we're doing is that we're able to see sometimes that the, the landmark that we've chosen isn't the end of the story. So that we have these campaigns and we get a particular piece of legislation, um, like the Equal Pay Act in, in 19, 1970, and, and then we're able to say, so what happened next and where's it gone? And then one of our later landmarks is the more recent case with Birmingham City Council and Abdullah, so we can see that still, years later, women are still campaigning for... Because what does pay. that case say? So the, that was a, a case brought um, against Birmingham City Council around um, equal pay. It was about when, when equal pay claims could be brought, but the time in which equal pay claims could be brought. The fact that we were still women are still needing to bring equal pay claims in 2012 is, suggests that the uh, Equal Pay Act of 1970 wasn't quite such a the end that um, many women might have might have hoped it would be. So so we're really able to sort of. We tell a very truthful, I hope, story about, about women, women's roles, that, that law isn't necessarily always the answer. It's not always the end of the story. It, it sometimes is the beginning of, of a process and the beginning of more campaigns. And to draw links between feminists and women across the centuries and across the ages as they, as they kind of the similarities between the work that they're carrying out. How did you decide which landmarks would go into this project? Because, and first of all, the project's not just a book, is it? It's going to be a website as well. So, so it's going to be multimedia. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you decide? What, I know that you um, asked for expressions of interest. Mm-hmm. That is the way we decided. Um, we, we just put out a, a call for expressions of interest and we got, as Eric has said, almost 100 responses and other suggestions too. And, of course, we thought of some things. Um, and occasionally we have actually approached people, but in fact what we find is we might have things on our list and someone gets in touch and they want to do it or they're, you know, they're really competent to do it. It's research that they've done. So in fact, it is all coming from the people who are going to contribute and that's really important because, because it means they own it. It's, it's like their research. It's their landmark. And it's also really important because I think the, the other thing about this project is about the process of landmarking. 
So it's not just about identifying the key landmarks, like I've mentioned, the Equal Pay Act or the Sex Discrimination Act or the Abortion Act, you know, all ones that we, we might be able to immediately think of. It's about people coming from all walks of life and going, but this is a landmark, and making a case for why it's a landmark. And then what we're doing through this project is giving it a visibility and placing it alongside the more well-known landmarks so that it becomes, as I say, a project that's about landmarking as well as about legal mm. landmarks. And it's fair to say that we didn't know all of the landmarks until people suggested them, particularly the ones that were coming from Scotland, Wales and Ireland, because we'll be, carrying, we'll be covering all of those as well. Um, and neither of us knows too much about those, you know, the law in those, in those parts. But, so we've got all of those as well. It's, and we're going to make cross-references. So if there's something in Ireland and a similar development or a different development in one of the other jurisdictions, then we're going to mention that as well. And so you mentioned the book. So as well as the book, which will be a more traditional academic text, although a very um, detailed sort of scholarly and collection. Large. And large. And uh, large, a large volume. But it will also uh, serve a kind of a weighty credibility of, of kind of uh, being able to point to it. As a, just the very fact it's big will, yes. will actually give it status. Oh, that's it's just pathetic. Oh, isn't it awful? <laughs> but it's so true. Um, but more importantly, we, we've been kind of really keen from the beginning that it's not just going to be hidden in a, in an academic text. And so we've looked at, at various ways of, of getting the, the project out there. And one of the ways that we're hoping to do this is through a website, and a website that then is able to take the insights of the scholars and the academics who've been working on this project and link back to the original sources. So link to the acts, link to any video clips we're able to find, link to... Um, the historical documents so that the the landmarks come alive and then what we hope is that this website will be able to be used by members of the public by school children when they're compiling their history projects by law students who often don't know the the history behind the the laws that they're studying and so that it actually becomes a living resource and there's no reason why more landmarks won't be able to be added to this to this um, to this yes because I was, I was going to say I mean you've you've talked about there being something like a hundred well first of all did you accept all of them did you accept every idea that was proposed no no we didn't but the vast majority I'd have thought and where we didn't we suggested something else or asked them to look again I mean we didn't just turn people down. But sometimes we thought, sometimes it was hard for us to see what exactly was the landmark for women, what was positive for women, and I think that was that was the main ground on which we turned things down. It's worth saying, by the way, it isn't just legal sources. Sometimes it's, um, well, for example, instead of the Equal Pay Act, well, what we actually feature is, is the Dagenham strike. Ooh, um, lots of media to do with that. Exactly. You know, you've got the play, you've yeah. got the film. Yeah. You've got, yeah, and, of course, there's Green and Common. Well, uh, yes, I mean, now you, you refer to the, um, the chapter that I myself will be doing, which, and of course, the, the fact that I'm going to be doing Green of Common is sort of throws into question the thing, what you were saying about it being an academic mm. uh, piece of work, because obviously I'm not an academic. Uh, and uh, You have a degree. Well, I have a degree. I have a degree of something, uh, and of course, the reason I'm I put myself forward to do that was because I represented a lot of the women in in a lot of their cases, and of course, I realised, in fact, when I was preparing for this um, discussion, that there was a House of Lords case that I'd completely forgotten about, which was all about bylaws and uh, how courts can uh, interpret bylaws and what jurisdiction they have to sort of make pronouncements about bylaws but anyway 
that probably won't be a major part of, of what I <laughs> yeah, write about. We didn't know about that. <laughs> no, no, and of course I should have done. But anyway, but now I do, now I do. It suddenly came to me as in a dream. And the other thing, yes, that I was going to ask you was originally you you suggested the rather daunting possibility of it being ten to 6,000 words and now it's gone down to 3,000 mm. words. And why is that? Well, it's, it's practicalities, really. It's gone down to 3,000 words so we could have more landmarks. We, we got to the, the point that the, the huge weighty tome we were uh, um, referring to and is that we, we realised it could only be so big. Books could only be so big. We, we toyed with having volumes and, and separating the landmarks, but there was something special about putting them all together. So we, um, we decided to go, to go shorter in order to, to add to the depth and, and breadth of it. And does that mean that I'm going to be doing lots of footnotes and saying, see this case, see that article, see... Is that what you're planning? No, you won't, but there will be some further reading, I think up to six items or something. But you have to understand, the reason why the number went... We didn't know how many people would respond. I think we thought maybe 20 or 30 if we were lucky. And there was this deluge of responses. And so we did... I mean, just just as I walked through the door this afternoon, I saw one or two people and I was saying, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing, Um, interviewing. And everyone was going, oh, wow, that's fantastic. Oh, you know, are they still open for offers? And so... And I think that's also... Sorry to... But are you actually, just on that point, are you still open for offers? No, you're not, I think. Well, yes. Well, if if something... They're now getting, we're now getting to the stage where it has to be a kind of uh, a big mission and yeah. a spectacular landmark because we've only got so much, you know, so many, so uh, so much time. But also, get, one of the really important things about the project, which we might talk about a bit more in in a minute, but is about collaboration and networking and, and about bringing the the not all women but mainly women together in rooms to talk about to talk because we've already had one so, meeting, haven't we? Mm, when yes. we all came together, and, and so there's going to be there's going to be about four of those, and so if the project gets too big those meetings lose the value that they they have and what is the Um, value that you see I think the value that I see is about providing an opportunity for people to to, it's it's as basic as being in a room and hearing people talking about their stories so there are a number of people actually Liz you're not on your own Um, there's a number of people who aren't academics and who have been personally involved in the landmarks that they've Mm. been um, that they're writing about so there's a value in us hearing those stories just amongst ourselves and then working out a way of making those more more public there's the there's the sort of this the connections that are made and the offshoots that come off from those those projects in terms of future projects in terms of young younger scholars um, early career scholars knowing and meeting more established scholars and, and so on so I think that's what we're we're not wanting to lose the collegiality that that the project has and already has actually, even though we we've only had one one meeting, and so that's another reason for putting a limit, I think, on the landmarks. But the the reason I think the other reason we kind of I feel more comfortable with doing that is because as the project's gone on, we thought about different ways of it becoming of it going out there, and so like the website is a way in which. We might only give you three thousand words on the, on the in the book, but the oh website, my God, on the website <laughs> you can go mad. Yeah, oh, so no. it, it, so that allows for the sort of the. I really wanted to tell this quirky anecdote that we put our editor's red pen through because it's not essential because we need to kind of have the balance, but it can appear there, and so it just means that that kind of it it creates a bigger, uh, it reaches a bigger audience, but it also allows a sort of more more depth in, in that way. And one of the things that we're going to hopefully be doing is working with a school down in Sussex to create a series of um, teaching resources 
um, so that they, when we've got the website and we've got the book, that we then do work and we're able to put on the website worksheets so that teachers can go and say, right, so when you're teaching about the vote, don't go there, come here, or go there too, but come here, and here's a worksheet that allows you to be able to use the landmarks. And the website and the book will make really big efforts to link between the landmarks so that you see the connections growing. And we should say now mm. about, we're not, it's not just, when I was talking about landmarks, I was talking about the substantive landmarks, mm. the acts, the cases, and, and the uh, events, but we're also ha- including some landmark women um, it's in, as we, as we mm. go along. First women in law we've got. So, oh, right. you know, people like you know, the first woman magistrate, um, solicitor, barrister, judge of the Supreme Court, and so on. Mm. So, um, so that's a very important one. Um, and first woman, I don't know, Patricia Scotland, first woman attorney general, I think, mm. and also first black woman. So we've tried to have a, a range. Mm. Um, just because it's actually very good. It's always been a sort of feminist policy to have heroines, and yeah. I think that's a very good thing to have. And it's really interesting, even now we can see that some of the women that we're going to be writing about have been involved in the landmarks. Mm. So you'll be able to tell yeah. the personal stories of the, the development of the, the career and the progression of these individual women, but also be able to see the role that they've played in these landmarks for women more generally, and that's just going to be mm. really incredible and really valuable. I think. Is anyone doing Barbara Castle? I don't believe they are. Because that would be quite interesting, wouldn't she it? She would I mean, be a good person, but you've got to find what she was first at. What she was first. Oh, I see. Uh, she's well, got to be a first woman. Didn't she, she might be the first woman to put push through a those really piece of feminist legislation, and that might work. Yeah, yeah. No, really? I agree. See, what we there are an awful lot of very distinguished women who've done feminists, but what we're talking about is law. These are legal. Mark. So we've got to tie it to that somehow. But I mean, Equal Pay Act, Sex Discrimination Act, oh, didn't she yeah. push all of those through? You know, when I was a radical in those days, mm. we all thought she was a bit of a conservative, but didn't. But then when you look yeah. back through history, you think, oh my goodness, oh for someone like that now, oh for someone like that. Now. But I think also that there will be, there's because it, it is a bit invidious to choose certain women, and, and we've, we really have wrestled over which women to, to choose. But I think one of the things in the way that we hope the authors write the land Landmarks is that these landmarks aren't simply a description of sort of what happens. Oh, the description, yeah, the description the, of the key players, and uh, and so she'll appear, and 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 so we we do really do want to hear about to challenge as as Rosemary was talking earlier about these as if these statutes suddenly emerge without the, the campaigns, but it's also within the campaigns to get rid of the sort of general feminists said this, to mm. actually be able to point to which group of feminists and were there key, key players in that, and I think that's going to be really important. So I think certainly our, our landmark women are not, are not going to be the only name checks in, in the book, otherwise that would be a bit problematic. And you are each going to be doing a chapter yourselves, so mm-hmm. Rosemary wants you. Um, I'm doing three at the three at the moment. I think um, one's a very early one about a, call, a case called the Slave Grace, um, which was about it's, a, it's about a slave called Grace and whether she was free or not in England. So it managed, it ma- makes me bring in the whole of the feminist movement around the abolition of slavery and the place of this case in the abolition of slavery. So what's the date of that? 1827. And then I think I was going to do the Restraint on Anticipation Act, which is, I think, 1949, which abolished the Restraint on Anticipation, which was the bar that was put on women's marriage settlements, which 
meant that they could never touch the capital. And it enables me to talk about the whole of the restraint on anticipation, which was introduced to protect married women from their husband taking all their money, because you may recall in common law when you married a woman's, uh, a woman's money became her husband's. So you can tell that whole story in, with that one landmark. And then the third one is the Boland case from 1981, which I think is the most important property law case for women in the 20th century in this country, which established that Mrs Boland had an overriding interest. The significance of this being that um, the banks couldn't believe that a wife could have an interest separate from her husband's. And it was argued all the way up to, well, the Court of Appeal and then the House of Lords, that it's too much trouble for conveyancers, solicitors and banks to inquire into whether she might have an interest or not. And I think it's very striking that that's almost 100 years after the Married Women's Property Acts. But after 1981, you'll note, when, people bought, when couples bought property together, both names appeared on the mortgage and on the title deeds. And that's entirely because of that case. So a lesson there for all of us. Well, I think so, but of course I am fascinated by property law and I do realise it's not quite so fascinating for everyone. <laughs> and I'm doing a couple of more recent landmarks. So I'm going to be writing about one of the first women. So I'm going to be writing about Lady Hale's appointment to the Supreme Court or the House of Lords and then, then the Supreme Court, which will enable us not only to talk about her, but also to make a comment on judicial diversity generally and, and the, what's happened since her appointment, 14 appointments later, and there's, she's still the only woman on the UK Supreme Court. So I think that's an important example of where you get a, a landmark in 2004, and then I'm sitting here in 2015 going, so, so what? what? <laughs> you know, why, why, why have there been no more, no more appointments following that? So, that? so that's my first uh, landmark. And then the other one is a landmark that I was involved in personally, which is the criminalisation of the possession of rape pornography, which was something that I'm, I'm going to be writing with um, my colleague Claire McGlynn, and Claire and I were involved with Rape Crisis and the End Violence Against Women Coalition as part of their campaign to include rape pornography within the provisions that can you just um, describe what that actually what rape pornography is? Oh, rape pornography are is are pornographic images of rape. They um, they can be. Uh, real rape, but also simulated images images of rape. So there, we had up until recently we had uh, legislation criminalising possession of extreme pornography, which includes bestiality, necrophilia, and images involving um, serious injury or death or injury to particular body parts, but didn't include all images of rape pornography. And so. Rape Crisis South London ran a campaign which um, Claire and I supported and along with the Invites Against Women Coalition and changed that law and sought, sought to, to close the loophole in relation to that. So we're going to be writing about that and it will, what it will enable us to do is to, to talk about the, the contested relationship that, that feminists and women sometimes have with pornography. That this, and so this is a recent porn-related um, porn law but of course there were the porn wars back in the 1980s and, and so on and so it's quite... Ha- happily, almost that this met our require our, our our requirement of being a positive landmark, but also enables us to explore that backstory. So the position was that there was legislation determining that there was some there was some pornography that was illegal, mm-hmm. illegal to possess. To possess. So we're talking about possession. In two thousand and ten, the government introduced a law that criminalised the possession of what it called extreme pornography. And around the time of this legislation going through, through Parliament, there was discussion about whether it was going to include images of sexual violence, um, particularly images of rape. And for a time, it was thought that it would. 
And then as the legislation uh, legislative process continued, it became clear that this wasn't going to be wasn't going to be the case. And so what we had was um, a, a situation where it was criminal to possess pornographic images involving animals, so bestiality, but not involving pornographic images of rape. And um, this was something that, that I felt was a, a, a not a, a good thing. Claire McGlynn and I were involved in a campaign in Scotland where the Scottish law was, was in, the Scottish law was introduced later than the England and Wales law, and they did include rape as one of their categories of extreme pornography, which then meant that we, you know, effectively came back to England and said, "So what are you going to do about it?" And it was a long campaign, and it was we were we were supportive of it, but it was led really strongly by a, a wonderful woman called Fiona Vera Gray at Rape Crisis South London, and so she led this campaign and really brought it to the public public attention and we had um, various petitions and so on and then eventually David Cameron said that he was going to to address this and we had the legislation and and it became law in February, I think it's February the 13th this year, so February the 13th 2015 was when this loophole was was closed and and as I say it's it's something and I think this is quite interesting about the landmarks because a number of the landmarks are landmarks where People will disagree on whether it was it is a good landmark. People will will have different views about whether this is a positive landmark for women. And and as editors, we've made we've made a decision. But certainly, we're aware that there is there are certain issues that where there is is debate, and and this landmark is one of them, which will enable us to to talk. And then, well, it's a landmark. It's a landmark, whether people want it to be a landmark yes. or not. Oh, so, it's a landmark. Yes. I mean, you know. Know. Good, bad, indifferent, but yes. it's a landmark. It's so my chapter is about Greenham, and Greenham isn't really a piece of legislation. Well, it's obviously not a piece of legislation, nor um, a famous person. The Greenham women were uh, members of a peace campaign, started off as a group of Welsh women marching down to Greenham Common, which was at the time an American airbase. And cruise missiles were about to be stored there. And they came down and set up a peace camp. And it was just women. And the action grew and grew and grew. And it, it became world famous, didn't it? I mean, there were the... Mm. And at each gate of the airbase, which were all given different coloured names, yellow, green... There was a camp at each gate, and and in fact, when the women were arrested uh, for for breaching the peace or criminal damage because they'd cut the fence or something, even the prosecution would talk about green gate and and pink gate and yellow gate. But of course, what what was important about them really was well, it was just this action of women living their politics. They left their families. I mean, women left their children. Some of them brought their children with them, and were incredibly effective because, in the end, cruise missiles did not come to, to the UK. They were just extraordinary women. I mean, and the, the trials, when we, when we had the hearings, they were incredibly imaginative about the things that they did in court, the actions, the singing, the... There was one occasion we were in the middle of a hearing, we called a witness, I think he was some incredibly high-powered American person in the Air Force who would be called, what would he be called in the Air Force, a 
the commander, a general of something. And as he walked to the witness box, uh, somebody leapt up and, and did a citizen's arrest on him. <laughs> and um, <laughs> a, another time, people were, were singing Gilbert and Sullivan um, answers every time the magistrate spoke to them. I mean, they were just extraordinary in so many ways. And um, they became quite a phenomenon. And as such, I think, um, a, a landmark. They did make um, various legal changes, uh, and in, including a case in the Court of Appeal about um, voting rights and whether women who lived in benders, as, as they were called, bent pieces of branch with a plastic sheeting over them, whether they would be allowed to vote. And indeed, they were allowed to vote. And, and I'm told by those who practice in that area of law that that is still good law. And I think that's why it's been really important for us to include events as well as the cases and the statutes that came from it. So, so Rosemary was right. We, we're not talking about the Equal Pay Act. We're talking about Dagenham because it was the Dagenham cast, right, that, that led to, to the Equal Pay Act. So I think that's the other way in which the project is trying to move away from the, the landmark being the, the official record, as it were, so the, the case report or the statute, but actually sometimes the landmark is something that is a bit more, more fluid or a bit more unusual, although sometimes like Greenman, like the Dagenham Car Park, well known. And I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because what, it, what, what those events show is how... Uh, public consciousness of what was happening, of the events or the uh, injustice or whatever was happening, um, the way that the women were being politically active was being reported on by the press and people's attitudes were changing. So people were ready for the Equal Pay Act. Yes. Uh, it became an acceptable thing. People were ready for a sort of a peace campaign mm-hmm. um, even my mum went to Greenham and she drank herb tea for the very first time in her life. Do you realise your mother was probably younger than you are now? I know, she probably was <laughs> <laughs> Yes she was Oh Lord, thank you, thank you Rosemary for bringing us down to earth with a mum into because I, I was thinking as we've been talking you know the others of our landmarks involved like the first Twitter um, the first criminal trial for the tweets um, about uh, against Caroline Cardo Paris whether or not there should be, be women, women on, on the, the banknotes bank and and so that that trial is one of our landmarks so that that enables us to sort of see this this move because I think what's quite interesting about the sort of move of, of feminism from a concern with property and, and family and sort of it's almost and I'm not in any way saying these things are all solved and completed but the it's been a shift that actually kind of online harassment and violence is is something which really is very present today which isn't as present it's not that it did you know online harassment didn't exist but harassment of women would have existed but it wasn't something that's appearing as a landmark um further mm-hmm. back so I think it enables us to sort of see also the differences in terms of difficulties that women have faced and facing across the century. That also shows that we win some landmark and there's a backlash. Yes. And it takes a different form and there's a constant struggle and so feminism hasn't emerged on top yet. Do you think this book, this, this initiative, this project will... What I think is important about this project is that unlike the many other projects which are coming out in the next few years to commemorate either 100 years since votes for women or the centenary of women's admission to the legal profession, is that it's not going to be the old-fashioned telling of stories. Because if you look at many of these projects, they tell the same old stories, which are not necessarily accurate, 
which tend to be this kind of top-down, you know, um, kind men passed this act. Well, of course, it had to be men, obviously, in the 19th century, since there weren't any women in Parliament, and just aren't presented in terms of this feminist struggle, which actually does have a continuity across 200, if not more, years. So really what, what, makes we, what we hope will make this really distinctive is that we really want it to be based in top quality historical research. To that end, we've actually organised an archi archival training day. And these workshops will also be about sharing knowledge and, you know, we'll critique each other's work. People will say, what about such and such? Did you know about this? Have you read that? Look, there's a link with my landmark. So that we will actually be, be doing the history together. It's not a series of 100 separate essays at all. It's a very different sort of project. But we really do want it to be distinctively academic in the historical sense. Um, and for me, that means feminist legal history. It's developing, if you like, the discipline of feminist legal history, which scarcely exists in this country. What is the difference between feminist legal history and other sorts of legal history? Well, have you ever read any legal history? Probably not. It's heavily male-dominated. Well, I'm probably so you used know, to it, you see, I don't course. even see it, I don't even think I mean, it. Well, just think even when you're studying equity and trust, you know, all this stuff about equity coming to women's rescue, they, all, they needed protection. In fact, the men were doing everything they could to get around it. No, a, a typical legal history book will have an index with women in it, and there'll be six entries. And you read those things and you'll see women appear, but it's not at all clear whether the rest of the book includes women or not. That None of that is clear. It's not clear where these developments came from or they're excused, you know. So you get things like, well, women were finally admitted by, you know, by the solicitor's profession. They finally accepted that their work in the war had, had justified their admission. Um, but... You know, and it, it, this has not made any difference to their position, as though that's the end of the story. And, of course, as we all know, in the 20s and 30s, life, well, indeed, up to the present, life for women solicitors has not been plain sailing. So it's that kind of thing. I mean, we want to set the record straight, but, of course, we're writing from this feminist perspective. So it's feminist history and feminist legal history. You're writing about issues but in a, in a very thorough way, yes. a very academic way, mm -hmm. you have your sources, you, you have your evidence to justify uh, what you're saying. I mean, so in a way, it, it is just, it is, I mean, we shouldn't really even just, need to call it feminist, no, should we? we I shouldn't. mean, that's, I suppose that's my point. It's, no, it's a description rather than a methodology in that sense. The thing about feminist, feminist, feminist anything is it asks a diff different set of questions. It not only asks the woman question, you know, where are the women in this account? Well, you know, they appear on six pages in this 400-page book. Not only that, but it's about a dynamic. See, feminism's about, the, it's about a gender relationship. What's the relationship between men and women? And it's always looking at that. How are men oppressing women or otherwise? Which men are, su are supporting women? Which women are working for? You know, better conditions for themselves. It's, it is about the the relationship between men and women. And I think the other way is not the project is about feminists creating the discipline of feminist legal history, as Rosemary said, but also the project itself is feminist mm. in terms of the way in which we're, we're hoping to operate, the way in which we've gone about identifying the landmarks in the first place, and and, and where we're we're going. It is sort of we're, we're living or, or we're mm. using feminism, and we're being motivated 
by a, a political commitment on both our parts and the vast majority, if not all of the participants, the commitment to feminism in some form. And so this, this then also, I think, is, is running through this, through this project. I was thinking about you saying, is this going to change the world? And I, I was thinking that one of the wonderful things about this, this project, is, which is keeping, it's made me excited about it, is that every time, not only do we keep having people want to join it, which is, which is wonderful, but also that we keep thinking of different things we can do with it. So I suppose I was thinking that now's the opportunity to say, you know, radio shows, TV rights, you know, film, whatever people want have ideas about how once we've created this body... Of, of resource. We're going to have a resource both in terms of the historical research we've done on the individual landmarks, but also in terms of the women that we and men that we've brought together and the knowledge and the expertise that we'll have within the network, that this really hopefully should be something where offshoots can grow in all directions and, and that we, we're providing a, a place place to start. So I hope that our project will be, like many of our landmarks, it will be sort of the start but not the finish of, of, of the discipline. Thanks for listening. You may also be interested in some of our other podcasts, for example, Feminism and the Law. Just go to www.podacademy.org.